We know we can trust God's word as the sole authority of truth. And we know that the word is true because it was agreed upon and it was passed down from the church fathers through generations and generations. My father and his father and his father's father all trusted this word and it got them through. Of course, we know that the church fathers and the traditions and my father's fathers have no authority, so they could not have had the authority to pass the word down. Only the Bible can tell us that the Bible is really true. This is the Bible After Hours. Hey, hey, is this thing on? Can you hear me? Okay, good. This is the underground church, and I am the foul-mouthed preacher. The word vulgar originally just meant to speak the common language of the people. So that's what we're going to do today. So if children are listening, cut this off. This isn't meant for children. Uh, I am the foul-mouthed preacher. I will say things like fuck. Um, You know, the point isn't to say how many times I could say fuck. The point really It's just to speak the way that normal people speak. So, hey, it's not going to be fuck every other word, but I'm clearly not afraid of the word. This is the underground church. What What I mean by that is kind of, that's the church that the church is afraid to be. The church on the surface, the church above, wants to keep you from understanding the real history of the Bible, from questioning the books that did and did not make it to believe there's never been any changes to the scriptures to because you know their their entire belief system relies on this but it's just not true the church above is built on a foundation of lies and the fucking manipulation and just secrecy so why do i think we should still care about the Bible. I mean, clearly I, I use it. I talk about it. I, I love the Bible. Why do I care about it the way that it exists today? Knowing that there has been changes, knowing that it's not been the same forever, knowing that the same books haven't even been there forever. That's a great question. Um, it's something I'm, I'm still working on. If I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you, I'm still trying to figure that out. But part of it is because it's a living book. It's something that does change. It's something that isn't the solid, tangible word of God. It's, it's more of an interaction, of a struggle, of a documented relationship that we are invited to join in and be a part of. I, I, want, I, I believe that the two were one and the same. I, I believed God was the word, the word was God, you know, based off that scripture, you know, it was a misunderstanding of the first chapter of John a lot of people have. It's like the Bible is God because it says the word was God in the beginning was the word, right? But the word word there is actually the word logos in the Greek. And it has a much bigger understanding than just word or scripture. That's that's not really what it means. Um, there's a whole philosophy around the word logos that the Greeks were familiar with that he's talking about here. Um, it, you know, it's closer to just ideals, virtues, into intellect, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, if really what it comes down to is that same idea you see in the book of Proverbs, that word wisdom, that capital W that's referred to as a she that says wisdom was in the beginning, you know, wisdom does this, that entity wisdom, really the book of John saying God equals wisdom, that female entity. Hold on to that. We might talk about that some other day, but it's an important distinction to make that the, what he wasn't saying is that the Bible and God are the same thing. And for no other reason than uh, when he wrote that, there was no Bible. There was no canon of scripture. They, they agreed upon the Torah the first for the first five books. Other than that, uh, there was a lot of question of what counted scripture, what didn't count, what do we understand, what do we value, what do we not value. Um, the Book of Enoch certainly counted at that point. Uh, most people have no idea what that book is. So he was not equating the scripture to God. He was not equating his own writing that he was currently doing to God or any of the books that happened afterwards. He didn't know about them. I went through a really bad breakup. Um, after a death in my family, 
and it really scared me. You know, I um, that death scarred me for life. I, I didn't know how to exist, how to be myself anymore. You know, I just didn't know how to be, and that changed who I was because like, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and you know, the girl I was seeing at the time just had enough. She ended up leaving. It got too dark and too much for her. Um, I was in a dark place. I was in a very, very dark place. And I just couldn't believe that there was this all-powerful God out there that was somehow the standard of morality who would just let me go through this shit. And he would let innocent lives be taken just by freak accidents. So I read the Bible over and over and over. More than 20 times. One year I read the Bible to see if I could disprove it, if I could see, I get rid of this thing. And I found a ton of inconsistencies. There's a lot of stuff, you know, different sacrifices. One place said it has to be this way. Another place says it can't be that way. Can't be both. Can, they can't both have to be that and can't be that at the same time, right? You know, um, there's a lot of places the Sermon on the Mount is also called the Sermon on the Plain. It's the same sermon. One person says it was on a plane. One person says it was on a mount. Both of those things can't be true. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, you know, one says their creation was made, and then man and woman at the same time. Another says man was created first, and then woman, and then creation, and then woman. Well, both of those orders can't exist at the same time. So the very first two fucking books don't even agree. There isn't like a consistency within the Bible. There's a ton of inconsistencies. That's what it was. Um, who was at fault for the demise of the kingdom of Judah? One says it was the king, one says it was the kingdom. It can be both, I guess, but but why wouldn't God have told him exactly whose fault it was and why would he say it two different ways, you know? I, I just I just couldn't make sense of these inconsistencies. But I also couldn't give up the Bible. I couldn't give it all up. Um, so I just kept rereading it. I, I don't know. I was looking for answers. I was looking for, I don't know, I, I was hurt and I just kept interacting with it and kept hoping for something different, I guess. I don't know. Um, and what I learned was the Bible was something different than what I thought it was. It wasn't something that, you know, the evangelical traditional church taught me, you know, the Bible is God and it's just the standard thing. God gave us a document that says exactly what he wants us to know, exactly how to live our lives and all that. That's really just not what it was. Um, you know, in the next few months, I learned the Bible wasn't even a historical narrative. You know, it wasn't written like history. It wasn't written like our modern textbooks. It wasn't written as a science book. It wasn't written as any of that shit. What I learned was there's a lot to question and that the Bible was more of this interactive thing, you know, um, it wasn't, Hey, here's exactly what to do. You know, you see Proverbs in the book of Job say the same things. And one says, this is wrong. The other one says, this is right. It was a struggle. It was a documentation of men and women struggling with this idea of God, how to be spiritual and what it meant to be the people of God. And then that got me thinking, and I realized that God isn't just some sky judge who has some rules that if we live, we make it. If we don't, we don't. You know, it's not some point system or anything like that. Um, and that's when my entire relationship with God changed, where instead of trying to live according to some document and being afraid all the time, I was able to enter into this relationship with him, realizing that this book is a documentation of other people's relationship and how they struggled with God. And when I struggle, I can enter into that conversation. You know, it's something alive. It's not something stale that I have to just approach and read for what it is. It's something alive that I can interact with. It is the living word of God, not the static word of God, not the the constitution of Christians, you know, not the declaration of Jesus. It is just a living word that you can interact with and enter into this relationship with the one who created us all, whose biggest desire is relationship. It isn't 
some commandments. It isn't some rules. It isn't some checklist. God wants a relationship with us. So he gave us a book, a documentation of others relating to him so that we can join in this history, this tradition, this relationship together with the Bible, with the authors of the Bible, and with God himself. It's a beautiful thing. My, my relationship didn't die because I realized the Bible wasn't an inerrant, stale thing. My relationship grew and blossomed because I realized I was being invited into a conversation, into a struggle with the divine. Too many people think the Bible has always been exactly what it is right now. And they don't even realize that other churches have different versions of that Bible and not just like slight language changes, but whole different books in it or not in it. Um, they, they think the Bible is this direct manual. You know, we, we talked about that. And, and it's just too many people have been like me. They've avoided a real relationship with God and with the Bible because they think it's just a lifeless text, something that they can go learn what they need to about God, apply it to their life and move on. They don't think it's something to engage, to interact with. To them, it's just a means to know exactly what to do to get right with their sky judge. Um, I believe that seeing Seeing the text as alive, seeing it as something that you can question, as something that you can wrestle with, as something that can be wrong sometimes, as something that you know different parts might apply to you in different ways, to see the authors as arguing, to see it as a tradition that is alive and engaging. I believe seeing the word like that can bring everyone closer to God through the Bible. Even if I don't think it has all the answers to all of life's questions, even if I don't think it's always right, I don't think it's always literally true, even if I I don't think it's all there is to your faith. It's still valuable because it's a way to engage with God, with others who are a part of God's people, and to really have a relationship and interact with the divine. So I guess that's why I think the Bible's um, as the New Testament was being written. There were some parts of the scripture that was canonized, basically just the Pentateuch, the Torah, those first five books. Um, but generally, there was no official canon of Hebrew scripture or Old Testament Um Really, the point that I'm getting at here that, that I think is pretty weird that doesn't get brought up a ton is, um, hey, uh, Jesus was, was on the earth. He mentioned scripture and stuff, but he never canonized it. He never said, here's what counts and here's what doesn't count. God was here and didn't think that that was important. Some people thought Enoch was scripture and Jesus, aka God, never thought, hey, let me stop and tell Peter, hey, that, that doesn't really count, man. He was okay with Peter thinking that it was scripture. Is it because it is scripture? Who's to say? Um... The apostles wrote about scripture, the Bible and all that, and none of them felt this need to canonize anything. There was not a solid, tangible thing. There wasn't some completely understood or structured, this is the word of God, this is scripture, this is what we do and what we obey. It was something that interacted with, and they, they kind of thought some things are scripture, some of them didn't think some things were scripture, and they kind of engaged it as this loose tradition of how people related to the divine. And Jesus, the God incarnate, was okay with it. He never took the time to correct them, to say what books should or shouldn't count. Like, Jesus didn't say, this is God's word, I'm God, so this is what counts, only do these books, don't do these books. He was comfortable with the idea, God is comfortable with the idea, that there are books and traditions that were just kind of in flux, that the people could wrestle with these books and these ideas, say some are right, some are wrong, they could find God in the conversation and in the relationships and in the struggle. That was something Jesus was okay with and approved and talked positively of when he talked about the scripture, because that's what it was at the time. It wasn't a canon. To me, this means that when, when, it also means that when John wrote the book of Revelation, 
that famous line that about people like to quote of uh, don't add or take anything away from this word uh, isn't about the Bible. He had no idea that that book was going to be in the Bible. He's not talking about some canonized scripture. There was no canonized scripture. Um, it's possible he's talking about the Torah because he was kind of quoting Deuteronomy, which this book was added to. If you're talking about the canon of scripture, there was a lot added to. I was a lot taken away of. Enoch was something that he probably thought of as scripture. Um, <laughs> and he just, he had no idea that there would be a canon. He had no idea that the New Testament was going to exist when he wrote that. That's not what he was talking about. He was probably loosely just quoting Deuteronomy. And he probably was more saying that this prophecy, this engagement with the divine stands on its own. That's all he meant was that specific thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of other books mentioned in scripture. You know, we talked about Enoch, the apostles, true, clearly Peter, Paul, really believed Enoch was one of the scriptures. There's some different texts about Daniel that's not in the book of Daniel that they quoted and referenced. Um, and these things were just taken out of canon over the last couple thousand years because the church kind of realized we can't keep this in scripture because it, it contradicts some of the other things in scripture. And we use those scriptures for this doctrine that we like, and we don't want to use these scriptures for this other doctrine that we don't like. So they just kind of picked and chose and got rid of stuff and kept stuff based off of what fit their ideas of who God was, not based off of some divine, you know, intervention. There wasn't some, you know, I hear a lot of people do this whole thing of, oh, well, you know, that's how we know it's from God because all the people came together and they agreed on what was canon and what wasn't. No, they didn't. The shit that they went through to come up with scripture involved a lot of arguing, a lot of debate. Um, more than the 300 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, we were having debates from St. Augustine and St. Jerome, and they didn't, they never agreed. Jerome thought something should be in there. Uh, Augustine did, didn't like, and there was some, you know, vice versa. Eventually, they came up with what the Catholics currently have as scripture that most Protestants don't have because, you know, um, was it a thousand years later? The Reformation's going on, and Luther was like, you know what? I think Jerome was actually right this whole time, and his original idea is what we should go to. So he changed it. So all of a sudden, all the Protestants have something new a thousand years later that was the Bible that didn't have these other books. <laughs> and, you know, even along the way, there are different things were taken in and out. There are even some scriptures, like the last chapter of Mark, we're realizing wasn't in the original text of Mark, thanks to the Dead Sea Scrolls. So now some people are trying to decanonize that. Scripture has never been the same. Scripture is constantly changing. There's a whole history of taking books out and adding them based on what the church wants the doctrine to be and based on this misunderstanding that the Bible should be a consistent thing that doesn't contradict itself. They think that it, it has to be the stale thing that people can just go to for truth. But clearly, it doesn't work that way or they wouldn't have to fucking change it so often. Part of the reason behind the problem that the evangelical, like the super conservative churches have today is... is really starts with that whole idea that Lutheran had um, of what he did with the Bible. Part of his thing, not only did he change the books, did he go back to Jerome, um, him and other reformers like him, they were leaving the Catholic Church for a good reason. You know, the Catholic Church became corrupt. The whole thing was wrong. So they started becoming suspicious of human authority, of church tradition, of, of all that stuff. Um, so they introduced this idea of sola scriptura, which is a doctrine that basically says that all authority is only in the scripture. Because of that doctrine, they kind of had to believe that the scripture was this firm, static thing that said exactly what you needed to know. They had to equate it with God because if that's the only authority, that's the only way you can know anything about God. So it has to be completely true. It has to just be face value or else what else is there? 
you know, if you're going to believe that's the only authority, it has to be those things. Now, if you're going to say the authority is something else, if you're able to look to church tradition, then you're able to see the Bible as tradition as an extension of that. But if you're going to, and it makes a lot of sense why they were questioning it, but if you're going to question it and you're going to say only scripture is authoritative, tradition can't be, then all of a sudden scripture has to become something that it was never meant to be. But tradition also is flawed, right? Like, like you can't just be tradition either. You know, if it's just tradition, you we saw we saw where the church fucked up. We saw what happened with those people. You know, um, we see what happens today. You know, there's pastors who take advantage of young women. There's, you know, there's all kinds of just shit in the church, right? Um, God, look at the Mark Driscoll story. So if we can't trust the scripture as something, you know, static, that it tells us exactly what to do. We can't trust tradition because sometimes humans are just fucked up. Then what can we trust? What's left? And why do we believe either thing? Why could we trust the Bible or tradition at all if we know that there can be flaws, if we know there can be mistakes, if we know that it's not static, if it's not, here's exactly what to do. What do we do with the Bible and tradition? Interestingly, the Bible also doesn't kind of, doesn't really just doesn't seem like it supports this idea of sola scriptura. I don't think the Bible supports the idea that the Bible is the only authority. Look at Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Um, the Bible says, see to it that there is no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with elementary principles of the world, rather than in accordance with Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over every ruler and authority. I'm just going to show you Romans 13, 1 through 2 real quick. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except what comes from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. And, bo and both of these things, it doesn't say, oh, you know, uh, humans don't have authority, look to the Bible. It doesn't say tradition doesn't have authority, people are deceptive, look to the Bible. It says Christ, it says God is the authority. Well, let's look again. Um, there's several other places in the scripture that state that Christ is the head of the church. You know, it says that the Holy Spirit will be our guide to understand scripture. You know, it doesn't even say that scripture can interpret scripture. It can't even do that. The Holy Spirit has to enable us to even understand what scripture is fucking talking about and how to communicate with God is also up to the Holy Spirit. Um, there are several other passages where Jesus says his followers are given the authority, all authority in the world through the Holy Spirit. They're given authority over this world, over demonic things, over their own bodies, through the power of the Holy Spirit in them. There isn't any passage at all that suggests that the law or scripture or wisdom or anything else is the authority. All scripture, when it talks about authority, seems to say that God has it, that Christ has it. And if you're understanding John 1 correctly and you understand that the that God is not literally the scripture, the Bible can't be the only authority. God is the only authority. The spirit is the only authority. So what is our relationship to scripture then? Well, what do we do with the Bible? How do I relate to the Bible now? Now, if I'm saying it's not this doc, you know, this thing that tells me exactly what to live, it's not the static thing that's completely true all the time, what can my relationship to the Bible be? Look at Hebrews chapter four, verses 10 through 13. This gets taken out of context a lot. Um, it says, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter in that rest so that no one will fall by following the same examples of disobedience. 
For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of every heart. Every heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom he must give answers. Did you catch that part at the beginning where it talks about the Bible and how we can enter into God's rest and um, we make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same examples of disobedience? That, that That's a big hint at tradition of examples of looking at things. Um, the purpose of the Bible, according to this passage, is so that we can struggle with it, so that it, it can pierce who we are, so that it can divide us, so that it, it, can, it can challenge your very being so that you will become vulnerable. That's what the last verse says, right? So that you'll be vulnerable before God because you're struggling with his word. The point of the Bible isn't to give you clear answers. It's to make you vulnerable, to get you naked, to get you just to a point where you're in front of God with, with nothing. The point of scripture is the struggle is to look at it and to say none of this makes sense some of it contradicts itself and to enter into the struggle of the bible to enter into the conversation that man is having with god that men are having with other men about god to see that we don't have any clear answers on this is the point so instead of arguing for sola scriptura instead of arguing that the bible is the only authority i i, I want us to pursue instead a new doctrine a doctrine of sola spiritus the that only the spirit has authority only god has the authority. Tradition's authority only exists as it's interacting with the Spirit of God. You know, when the church is acting on God's behalf and it's doing stuff with God, that's where we see the church really have authority, really do the things that it's supposed to have, really come together and give us this ever-changing Bible that we have. The Bible's authority only exists in as much as it enables us to interact with the Spirit of God, to become vulnerable before God. So God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, these are the only authorities of the church, only authorities of us now. But that doctrine's scary, right? Because it doesn't give us a clear answer. It means that you might think God's one thing, and I might think another thing, and we need some standard, we need some constitution of Christianity. But that's just not what the Bible was fucking meant to be. And it's definitely not what tradition has successfully been. Jesus is the only authority, and there is no clear way to know exactly what he said. We struggle with the word, we struggle with tradition, and we just gotta do our best to figure out what God's saying, what Jesus is saying. It's not a great answer for people. They want the thing a little more clear. But that's just not what we've been given. No clarity without true faith in the Spirit. If you don't have faith in what the Holy Spirit's doing, if you don't really believe this thing, you're not going to find anything. You're not going to find any answers. You're not going to get closer to God. And without faith, you have to believe that the Bible is literal, that it has to be the standard thing. You have to believe tradition has some kind of authority, or else you're left with just having to have faith that the Spirit's real and that you're able to hear it. And that's scary for some people. But that's what Christianity is. So now I can see how others interacted with God. I can learn and experience God through the scripture. You know, I don't have to look at it and go, okay, how do I live my life? How do I find a meaning in this that directly applies to me so that I know what exactly what to do here? No, no, I can say, how are they relating with God? What's going on in this struggle? How are they experiencing the divine? And then I can enter in that conversation with them and really, really, truly experience God in a way that's alive, in a way that's relational. You know, a lot of these, these conservative churches talk about relational a relational God, but then they give you this static word that says it tells you exactly how to live. A book that tells me exactly how to live isn't relational. A book that's struggling, a book that's questioning, a book that's that's open, that, that's a relational book. 
That's something that would come from a relational God, not an inerrant, exactly what to do handbook. I can also see how others interact with God. I can experience him as I study church tradition, right? I can see how did the church do certain things? How did the church come to these conclusions? How did these doctrines develop? You know, what happened in Augustine's time? What happened in Aquinas' time? What happened in Lutheran's, Luther's time? What happened in Martin Luther King Jr.'s time? I, I could see all these other flawed humans, how they struggled with God, and I can enter into their conversation with tradition and, and experience God in that way too and, and continue the relationship of a man and God. God doesn't want a personal relationship necessarily. That's not really in the Bible. He wants a relationship with all of mankind, and I'm just a part of that story, and I get to see the rest of the story in the Bible and in tradition and add to it by relating to God in my own way and figuring out from them and their experience, and then adding my own experience for the next generations to come. But neither of those things, both of those things can be wrong occasionally. So my interpretation of the Spirit, so can my interpretation of the Spirit of God, right? I, I might be wrong sometimes, <laughs> but it's all useful to build up. It's all useful for correction. It's all useful for teaching and learning and becoming more vulnerable, as the book of Hebrews says, in my relationship with God. So 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says, You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is Christ Jesus. All scripture is expired, inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Yeah, the Bible is useful for all of those things because it's a relational book, because it's a struggle with God that shows us what does and doesn't work, shows us how man has been trying to figure out this God thing so that we can add to the story. Read the book of Job and then read Proverbs side by side. Seriously, go do it. When, when you're done with this, read those two books side by side, one after the other, and you'll see how one will say one thing's right and the other one will say that same thing is completely wrong and didn't work at all. And you'll see there is this struggle between the authors of what is and isn't true, who God is or is not, what God does or does not value and love and like. Those two books alone show you the struggle that the Bible can be. And it's a beautiful thing. Because you can enter in that conversation in your prayer life and say, God, I sometimes feel like this is true. I sometimes feel like this is wrong. I think this is fucked up. I think this is beautiful. And, and just enter in the conversation with God and, and really enter a relationship with him. Not enter in a relationship that's you obey every single word of this document and go to church and do X, Y, Z every week. No, no, no. A relationship isn't that. A relationship is a struggle. It is a conversation. It is something loving and caring, not something dictative. So when you read these books and you see this struggle, I think you're going to learn how to question the things of the Bible. I think you're going to learn to question things in general. I think you're going to think more deeply because of this. I think you're going to wrestle with, interact with the Bible and God in a new way completely, and that your relationship with God can become deeper than it ever has been before if you just try. And even if you might be less certain of things than you were before, when you read these two and say, ah, they kind of seem like they disagree with each other, it's okay. God lives right there in your questions, right there in the struggle, and right there in the uncertain. That's where God lives, and he's just waiting on you to find him. God wants a relationship with you through a relational book that isn't a closed document, but rather a living word. 
guys, I, I don't want you to go share this on your public social media accounts or anything like that. It, it might offend some people. And that's not our goal here, right? You know, we don't want some child to hear the wrong words. I just go get in trouble. We don't want someone to have a stumbling block because they think you can't say fuck and be saved, whatever. But what I do want you to do, um, share this with one friend or a family member who you think might benefit from hearing what we talked about, who might be able to engage in you with the conversation about whether the Bible is static or relational. If that can spark a cool conversation between you and a family member or a friend so that you guys are engaging the text and God more deeply, even if you disagree with me, that would be beautiful. Share it with a friend, share it with a family, just one that you think might benefit from hearing this and entering in this conversation. And let's bring the church back to the common people, to our friends, our family, to the average people that we know and love. Thank you for listening. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, go to the website in the description below. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.